It is my honor and privilege to be here this morning. I'm Pastor Jim, my wife, Priscilla. We are the 55-plus pastors here at Christian Faith Center, and we have the honor, I have the honor of beginning to address all of you this morning with what God has laid on my heart. And I'm praying right now that the Lord would just open your eyes and your ears to receive a word from the Lord. Uh, so many times a good message, it, uh, it's birthed out of something that means a lot to the person speaking it. And uh, this message has spoke a lot to me, uh, and I pray that it does you this morning. Amen. We're kind of a, remember when we were young, we used to cruise. Yes, that used to be a thing. And uh, back, way back in the 1900s when I was young, we would cruise. And every once in a while, we'd come up to a red light, and there'd be four or five of us in the car, and we'd get there to the red light, and some would say, fire drill! All four doors would swing open. Sometimes it was fun if it was a two-door. People piling out of the back seat would run around the car and get back in before it turned green and vroom, take off down the road. It's called fire drill. This morning, we're kind of having a fire drill, Pastor Monty, Alaska. Pastor Kelly was in Boise this morning and ran back over here, and Pastor Jordan and Amanda in, in California. And uh, how many of you know we are, we are a blessed church? We are a blessed church, and I'm thankful to have an opportunity this morning to share what God has placed on my heart. This morning, I'm going to be preaching about sticks and stones in the good hand of God. Sticks and stones in the good hand of God. We're going to be in the book of Nehemiah. If you take your Bible, if you, uh, if you have your Bible, open your Bible about to the middle. You're going to open to the book of Psalms. Uh, turn back a little bit, and you're going to see Esther, and you're going to see... Nehemiah. We're going to open to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 4 in just a moment. I remember when I was in Bible college back in 1982, we had a uh, president of the college, and he would say, one of these days, this, remember this was 1982. Now, some of you are going, what's so, what's so big deal about this? But remember, 1982. He said, one of these days, we're going to have a push-button Bible, and we're going to say, Nehemiah chapter 4, and you're going to reach down, push a button, and boom, he'd always do this. The Bible's going to open up to Nehemiah chapter 4. Well, we live, we live in that day. So he was, he was looking ahead in his mind's eye and seeing this day with our technology of where we could sit there and go, bam, push a button, one-handed, bam, there it is. And so we're, we're living that day, and uh, we accept it, we embrace it, the good and the bad. When the app works, we're happy. When it don't, we can't figure it out. It makes us upset, but we love it anyway. Amen? All right. Greeting to all of us, all of us that are here and those watching online. Uh, we're glad you're joining us, and I pray that you would open your hearts to hear what God is saying this morning to all of us, to every one of us here. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, I start with this. Nehemiah is praying, and I say that prayer this morning to all of you here today and all of you listening online. Nehemiah is praying. He says, now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power. Get this. God says that we are His people that have been redeemed by His great power and your strong hand. Now, all states says they're the good hands people, but I want you to know, every one of us, God, He's the ultimate when it comes to good hands. Every one of us this morning, I'm encouraging us before we leave here that we have placed our dreams, our ambitions, our lives into His good hand. Bow your head as we pray. Dearly Father, I love you and I thank you for the opportunity to speak your word. I pray, Lord, that what you birthed in my heart would be 
birthed into the hearts and the lives of your people that are gathered here this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we hear your word, that we hear your message, and not the message of a man, not my ideas, but, Lord, that they would hear your word. Anoint my tongue to speak, anoint our ears to hear, and our eyes to see. And we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. 483 years before Jesus walked on the earth, we see Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a servant in the palace of King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes, the mighty leader and king of the Persian Empire. King Artaxerxes was not a nice guy. Some of you may remember the movie a few years ago called The 300. The 300 was a movie about 300 Spartan warriors that stood and they fought the Persian army led by King Xerxes. And you remember that king was not a nice guy. Today we see that Nehemiah is serving as a cupbearer in the palace of King Artaxerxes, the king of the Persian Empire. Nehemiah is waiting there, and for, for 70 years, he and his people have been in exile from their homeland of Jerusalem. Picture that. This mighty nation of once was Israel, the temple and the walls and the city that Solomon's treasures had built, the elaborate temple of Jerusalem of the place of worship, this holy city and the kingdom that David and and his son Solomon had built and established. And now we see that Nehemiah, hundreds of miles away, serving a, a heathen king, he is longing to know what is going on in Judah, what is going on in, in Israel, in the city of Jerusalem. And he hears that some of his fellow kinsmen, his brothers, Hanani and others, have come to Persia, and they've come from Jerusalem, and he wants to know, how are things going back home? He, draw, he calls them, and they come in, and he says, give me the news. What's going on in Jerusalem? What's going on in our hometown and, and among our people? And they begin to share. Things are not good. The walls have been torn down. The gates have been burned. The city is in disrepair. The people are scattered in disillusion, and they are falling prey to all the enemies around. During this time, the people of Israel were being exploited by their neighbors. Everyone was taking advantage of the fact that the children of God, listen to me, the enemy will take advantage when the children of God are not in the, under the good hand of God. And the enemies of Israel were exploiting and taking advantage of God's children. It broke Nehemiah's heart, and he began to pray and call on the Lord. And we pick up here in Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 7, we see that Nehemiah is given great favor with this heathen king. Now, believe me, this king, he had no love for the children of Israel. This, this heathen king, Artaxerxes, he had no love for the God of Nehemiah. But I believe the scripture says what we read here is that Nehemiah had the favor of God on him. I believe that God began preparing Artaxerxes the night before for this meeting. Because Nehemiah goes in there and the king says, what is it that I can do for you, Nehemiah? And we read it here in Second Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 7. I said to the king, if it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to allow me to enter and pass through safely. Verse 8 says, and if it please the king, give me, other, give me more letters to, the, to, the, to Asaph, the one who has charge of all the king's forests, that I may harvest all the trees and gather all the timber I need. 
to build the walls, the gates, the temple. Artaxerxes, he not only gives him those letters that he asked for, but Artaxerxes says, and not only that, I'm going to send the captains of my guard with you and their cavalry, their mounted soldiers to protect you on this journey. Nehemiah did not know it at the time, but we know from history that Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem and was there 12 years. It was fortunate that King Artaxerxes also said, not only do you take timbers to build the walls, the gates, and the temple, but you also need to build yourself a house. We're going to see in this story of Nehemiah that God cares and provides for your spiritual victories. Hear me this morning. God cares and provides for your spiritual victories, but he's also concerned and moves on behalf of your physical necessities. We have spiritual victories, but we also have physical necessities. We got to pay the bills. We got to feed the kids. We got to make the doctor appointments. God cares about those things, and he works on our behalf. He gave favor to Nehemiah. I believe that the night before Artaxerxes went to bed, he went to bed, and the dinner was exactly what he loved. The cook hid it perfect. It was made exactly the way he liked. He went to bed with a full stomach. He laid there and rested like he'd never rested before. The room was the right temperature. The bed felt just right. He slept all night. He woke up with the birds singing the beautiful sky outside. He looked out his window and breathed that fresh air. His kingdom looked perfect. He went down to breakfast and the eggs were exactly the way he liked them. Everything was just right. The toast wasn't burnt. He had the right, he had, he had the right jelly on it. He, it was a beautiful Beautiful day. Everything was going perfect. He met the right people on the way to the throne room. When he got to the throne room, it was the right temperature. He sat on his throne and all of his servants were there. He's feeling so good. And in walks Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, Artaxerxes looks at him and says, man, it's a great morning. Nehemiah, what can I do for you? He had the favor of God. God is able to touch the heart of the king. The scripture says that as the river turns that God is able to bend the heart and turn the heart of a king. Nehemiah had the favor of God. And I like what it says down at the end in verse 8. It says, Nehemiah, as he was leaving, he looks around and he says, and the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God is upon me. The King James says, the good hand of God is upon me. I want everyone in this room to know you want the hand of God in your life. You want the good hand of God to be upon you today. Good things happen when God's hand is involved in your life. When you draw away from God and you pull away from his hand, you begin to fall victim to the enemies of the children of God. You begin to fall prey for every little thing that wants to come along and destroy your life. We know from Scripture that we do have an adversary that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Your ambitions, your dreams... Your focus on what you want to do, your relationships, your job. There's an enemy that wants to see you fail. He wants no glory. The scripture says to let your good works shine before men that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. We have an enemy that wants us to fail. We have an enemy that wants us to look bad because he wants to belittle us and mock us and make us look like anything but what we're called to be. We are a prince or princess. We are royalty. We've been adopted into the palace of the Most High God, the King of Kings. We belong to Him. There are five weapons, five tools 
that the enemy uses, and I want to go through them very quickly here. Five enemies that was used against Nehemiah and the children of God. And you know the devil, he's using the same tactics today that he used then. That's one thing about the devil. He knows us, he knows what works, and he kind of sticks to his game plan. If only we as children of God could be as clear and focused on our purpose as the enemy is, we're going to do just great. Here they are, five things very quickly. First thing we see is in Nehemiah chapter 4, that Nehemiah and the children of God faced mockery. We see that the neighbors around the children of God looked down on them, they mocked them, they belittled them. We read it here in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1, this character Sanballat. Sanballat obviously was a man of some influence and wealth. He was not an Israelite. He was one of the neighbors that was enjoying the opportunity to exploit the weakness of God's people. It says in verse 1, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews, belittled the Jews. Verse 2, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what does this, listen, you can just, you just hear oozing. What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Many of you, when you came to the Lord, you had friends around you, and they looked at you and go, what do you think you're doing? You're no better than us. Don't be acting all churchy. Don't be acting like you're something. You're, we know where you come from. We know who you are. There are people that don't want to see you build. They don't want to see God do things in your life because it means that you're leaving them behind. God's taking you to new places and new elevations in your life. God wants you to allow him to take your sticks and stones and build something in you that will last eternity. Sanballat and the Sumerians, they're like, what do these feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day or by offering a few sacrifices? I love that. That tells me right off the bat, Nehemiah got back there and said, we need to start worshiping God again. It was known to all the neighbors, they're worshiping God again. They're seeking God again. He goes on and says, do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred rubbish at that? Tobiah the Amorite, I always think this Tobiah, if you read the, the chapters and read the story, Tobiah is kind of like, like Sanballat's little minion. <laughs> Whatever you say, Sanballat. <laughs> I mean, I just get that. I don't know. But I watch too many cartoons with my granddaughter now. I'm starting to think funny. And, uh, but this Tobiah, look what he adds. He kind of chirps in there. He goes, Tobiah the Amorite, who was standing beside Sanballat, remarked and said, that stone wall will collapse even if a fox jumped on top of it. Verse 4 goes on to say, Nehemiah says, we were despised. Some of you will be, be despised. You'll be mocked. You'll be belittled. I, I, I think all the time, and I meet people all the time, that in their childhood, they faced belittlement, mocking. They had a parent, a family member, a sibling, someone that always belittled them and mocked them and told them they'll never amount to anything. They'll never, they can't do anything right. Whatever you faced in your life, you may have faced mocking. Any of you in your life, you're going to face these things because if you, are not move, if you are moving towards God, you're moving against the enemy. If you're not butting heads with the tactics of the devil, then you're moving in the same direction he is. Hear me. 
If you're not moving towards God, you're moving with the enemy. We want to be butting heads. We want to be pushing through and breaking past him. We're going to face mockery. People are not going to understand what God is doing in our lives and what we're doing for the Lord. Verse 6 of Nehemiah 4 says, At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. For the people worked with enthusiasm. I like that. It says the wall was completed halfway because the people worked with enthusiasm. The King James says they had a mind to work. Some of you on your job place, you know what I'm talking about. You know that lady or that guy you work with that do not have a mind to work. They have a mind to drink coffee. They have a mind to take their cigarette break. They have a mind to hang out by the water closet and talk and gossip. But we want people that have a mind to work. God's people should have a mind to work. You want to shut the mockers up? You want to shut up those voices of your past that say you'll never amount to anything? You want to shut up those voices in your past that says you can't do it? Begin to get to work. Begin to have a mind to work. Begin to focus on the things of God, the things that build up others and build up your family and build up your church. Have a mind to work. The first weapon that the enemy tried to use was mockery, belittlement. The second thing was discouragement. An interesting thing, mockery comes from without. See, other people will mock and belittle you. But discouragement can be sneaky because it comes from within. It comes from within. We get to thinking things. We get to pondering. We get to worrying. Pretty soon we get discouraged. Look what it says here. Discouragement, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, he said. And there's so much rubble to be removed. There's so much broken down sticks, so many broken down stones. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Discouragement began to set in. Mocking comes from without. Discouragement comes from within. Be careful of your thoughts. Be careful of what you're feeding yourself. Feed yourself on the Word of God. Feed yourself on the things of God that say you can. Si, se puede. You can do it. Feed yourself those things. Don't listen to the discouragement that tries to weld up inside of you. This mockery and this discouragement, these are things that feed doubt. Doubt is the enemy of faith. A great way to beat discouragement is keep your hands and your mind busy. You can do it. You can build it. The third thing we see here that faced Nehemiah and the children of God was fear. The mockery came. The attacks. The siege of mockery. Then the bombment, the, the bombing of discouragement. And then, and then we see an explosion of fear. We read here in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 7. When Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, look at the numbers growing. It's Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, the Ashdodites. When they heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. The enemy loves to spread confusion. The enemy would love to spread fear. That we'd be worried about every little thing. Well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Oh, we're under attack. Everyone's out to get us. I learned a long time ago that it's not paranoia if everyone really is out to get me. 
That's where the children of God are right now. Everyone, all of our neighbors are out to get us. Verse 11 says, Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, Before they even know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy camps would hear these things, and they'd come back and tell Nehemiah that they are planning on coming and attacking us all. Verse 14, Then I, Nehemiah, listen to what he tells them. So much we can learn here in our own lives. Then I, Nehemiah, looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and all the people of God, and I said to them, first of all, do not fear the enemy. Do not fear the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Too many times we focus on how big the problem is. Too many times we focus on how little our account is. Too many times we look at how big the bill is. Too many times we look at how little our education is. Too many times our perspective is off because we're forgetting about how great and glorious our God is. We forget about how big He is. Don't look at our enemies, but look at our great and glorious God. Look at what He's done in the past. He'll do it again. Verse 9 says, we prayed to our God and we guarded the city by day and night. You read that story on and you'll see that when they went to work, everybody had a partner. And when they were mixing mortar, someone was standing behind him with a sword keeping his eyes open. When they were putting walls up, someone was standing behind them with a sword checking everything out. They had one another's back. If you want to overcome fear, know that you have someone that has your back. We need to have people in our life that has our back. People that are praying for us. People that have a good word of encouragement for us. It's a lonely place when you try to walk with the Lord alone. Don't walk alone. As we say around here, don't do life alone. <laughs> Get involved with other people that will feed your spirit, encourage you, and be there during the tough times. Fear. The enemy came with mockery and with discouragement. Try to spread fear. I think, of, I think of a story that I'll tell this morning in honor of our pastor. Back in 1980, when the Oakland Raiders won a Super Bowl and Pastor Monty had bangs. The Oakland Raiders were the very first team, very first wild card team to ever win a Super Bowl. They just think of it this way. Those that don't know football, if you get into the playoffs by a wild card, you're pretty much the body, you're the dog's tail. We'll put it that way. <laughs> 1980, Oakland Raiders come from the very bottom to win the Super Bowl. Everybody was mocking them, belittling them. Everyone was discouraging them. No one believed in them. I'm sure that even the players themselves at times had to fight off the fear, had to fight those that doubts off. Listen to that. They were known as the mistake-prone offense mess. <laughs> Jim Plunkett and his offense was described as a mess. Forty-four times they turned the ball over. I think they played 14 games back in 1980. You think of that. Forty-four fumbles or interceptions they turned the ball over. You usually, that's, that's not very good. The mockers, the distractors, they had a good point when they said, Jim Plunkett and the Oakland Raiders will never win the Super Bowl. Jim Plunkett himself only completed 51% of his passes that year. He threw 16 interceptions, and yet they went on to win the Super Bowl. 
We see the 1967 Green Bay Packers, even with all the Hall of Famers and the legendary coach Vince Lombardi. The only problem was all of his major players were on the injury reserve and were not playing. No one gave them a chance in that Super Bowl. They were the bottom half of the NFL. Somehow they squeaked in and made it to the Super Bowl. They turned the ball over 36 times that season. And Bart Starr, the legendary Bart Starr, had 17 interceptions that year. Yet they won a Super Bowl. I think of a commercial that was out several years ago where Michael Jordan, no one knows him, but I'll just throw his name out there. The commercial, Michael Jordan's voice says, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost over 300 games. On 26 occasions, I was entrusted to make a game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. All of these men and these teams, they succeeded because they were able to ignore the mockery. They were able to ignore the belittlement. They were able to forget about what a coach said about them once. They were able to forget about what their parents thought about them once. They were able to look past what other people were saying and writing in the newspapers. They were able to fend off the discouragement. They were able to hold off the fear and keep their focus on what they had been trained to do, what they had prepared themselves to do, what their coaches had instilled in their heart. This morning, I'm telling you, entrust your life, entrust your faith, everything you have, put it in the good hand of God. Fear, discouragement, mockery. The fourth thing we see is the enemy tried to use was discord. Divide and conquer. Tear them up. If we can separate them, we can pick off the weak ones. We read it here in Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 1 says, And about this time, some of the men and the, and the wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They begin to say things like, We have large families and we don't have as much as them. Others said, Well, we had to mortgage everything we had just to survive. And they began building walls and pointing fingers. The same strategy is used in our nation today. The poor want to take everything we have. The rich want to keep everything they got. That same strategy comes straight from the pit of hell. And yet it's used against us in America all the time. Building walls and separating and putting us on two sides. When really we need to be unified and purposed in building this nation for the kingdom. So that God's word can go out and we can continue to be a nation that preaches, teaches, and spreads the word of God. Division, divide, conquer. Pastor Bueller shared this with me just a few weeks ago and it's so true. He says, Pastor Jim, when you're counseling and talking to people and there's any type of controversy, you'll see four things. And if you can warn people early on, it will save a lot of problems. First of all, you'll see a couple or a business owner. It happens on the job, in our churches, in our families, in our marriages, where one person begins to assume something. Then they begin to accuse someone. Then they begin to argue about it. And the next thing you know, they're alienated. I'm not even going to talk to you anymore. The four A's, assume, accuse, argue, alienate. 
God would love to destroy your family, your marriage, your church, your place of employment. He can destroy us if he can divide us. The fourth weapon the enemy tried to use against Nehemiah and the children of God was divide and conquer. After thinking it over, Nehemiah, he calls the people together in verse 7. And he says, you are hurting yourselves. If only we can remember that when we begin to draw lines of distinction of I'm not with them and I'm with him and, and she's not on our side and we begin to make these walls, we're hurting ourselves in the kingdom of God. Don't allow the enemy to divide us and conquer us. Even with the favor of God, we're going to face these weapons. I had a story that I shared first service, and I heard this several weeks ago. So appropriate. A woman goes to her lawyer, and she says, my husband wants to leave me. The lawyer says, well, does he have any grounds? She looks a little puzzled and says, well, yeah, he, he owns about 20 acres. He says, no, no, you misunderstand. What is his, does he have a grudge? She goes, no, we park our car in the front yard. He says, no, you, you misunderstand me. Does he beat you up? She says, no, I'm up before him most mornings. I'm out of bed. Ma'am, please listen, he says. He says, what does he say the problem is? She goes, well, I don't understand it. He says, we can't, we can't communicate. Division, divide, conquer. Don't allow this weapon to be used on you. The last one, the fifth one, the enemy tries to distract. If he can get us focused on things that aren't important, if he can get our mind off of what really matters, that's what he wants to do. If he can get us thinking about problems instead of the problem solver, if he can get us thinking about the question instead of the answer, that's what he wants to do. He wants to distract us from what God is doing in our life and what God wants to do in your family. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1, we see Sanballat uses this tactic. It says, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, and the Arabs and the rest of our enemies found out that we had finished rebuilding the wall and that there were no gaps remaining, though we had not yet put up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem, they sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages on the plain of Ono. He was received this letter saying, come out and meet with us so we can work things out and, and work things over and straighten things out on, near a village on the plain of Oh No. I love Nehemiah's answer. He said, Oh No, not going to do it. He had discerned that it was a tactic to distract him and get him out and destroy him. Four more times, letters were sent. Nehemiah, come meet with us. Stop what you're doing and, and come spend some time with us. I love Nehemiah's answer. He answers them and he says, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come to you? You know, God's doing something in your life. God's working. Thank the Lord by his grace you're not who you used to be. You're moving along. You may not be happy where you're yet where you're at yet, but you keep moving forward. You keep stepping forward in faith. You keep moving, and God is going to take you to your destiny, to your end, because he's ordained that. Don't be distracted. When the enemy says, hey, come on over here. Come meet with us. You say, oh, no. 
God is doing a great work. My life is in the good hands of a mighty God. I'm moving forward. Things are happening to my life. Things are happening to my family. Things are happening on my workplace and in my, in my country. I don't want to be distracted. Why should I come down? I'm doing a good work. Sometimes the grass does look greener on the other side of the fence. But you need to tell the devil, God's doing a good work in me. I'm not going to be distracted. God, defend us from those weapons, the mockery, the discouragement, the fear, the, the, the divisiveness, and lastly, the distractions. God, protect us from these things. There are things that the enemy uses over and over, and we seem to fall for them. I bet if I asked, we could raise our hands and say, yeah, I've made that mistake more than once. May we be established that we are going to be faithful, we're going to trust God and put our sticks and stones, the things that God builds into our lives are in His hands. The things He's entrusted us with are in His hands. What once was burnt rubble and stubble and broken sticks and crumbled stones, He will erect into something beautiful and useful for the kingdom that will add purpose for all eternity if we'll yield it to Him. Put your life into the good hand of God. Into the good hand of God. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call on me, and I will answer you. I love that. He doesn't say, Call on me, and maybe I, if I can get to it. He doesn't say, Call on me, and I'll, uh, eventually I'll put it on my list. He, he doesn't say, Eventually I'll get to you, but he says, Call on me, and I will answer you. I will answer you and show you great and mighty things, which you can't even imagine. There are things that God has for you that you can't even imagine right now. God's got a purpose and a plan and a future for you that you had never envisioned. He has higher hopes for you than you have for yourself. I pray that your godly ambition would be stirred up. Sometimes we get worldly ambition, but I pray your godly ambition will be stirred up. That you'll have a spiritual eye and a spiritual focus to see what God wants to do in your family and your life. Do you have dreams? Ambitions, ask God to give you the lumber, the mortar, the bricks to build God's purpose in your life. His hand is extended to you. Put your life in His hand. Scripture says nothing can snatch you out of His hand. Nothing can snatch you out of His hand. What do we do? We start by getting rid of the rubble. We get rid of the mess. Every one of us know there's things in our life my wife and I were preparing to make some changes, and already I see I've got a lot of work. I've got a lot of stuff in my garage to get rid of. <laughs> i got a lot of distractions and a lot of things. I gotta get. Hey, we got to get rid of the mess. we got to get rid of the mess. And the master bulldozer that's able to get the mess out is to call on the name of Jesus Christ who can wash away every stain. Whatever. In chapter, chapter 2 of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is going through the city. He's scouting it out to see how much work he has to do. And when he gets to the city, he's moving through, and he sees the walls are broke down. He sees the gates are burned up. All the houses and buildings inside are piles of rubble. And at one point, he goes through the king's gate. And as he goes through, he says, the donkey I'm riding on can't even pass. The donkey can't even find a place to put its hoof. 
That means a lot to me because I've been, I've been, one of my aspirations is to hike to the floor of the Grand Canyon and spend the night and ride the mules to the floor. Uh, since my mom took me to the Grand Canyon when I was four or five, I remember those mules. But I watch videos and, I, and, and the, the guides and everyone tells you the mules love to walk on the edge. For some reason, they like that outside of the trail. And you'll see some poor tourists with a GoPro on their hat, and they're, they're walking, and you see them looking at these mule's ears, and they're looking down, and you can see the mule right on the edge. And they'll come up, and here's a hairpin turn, and you'll see the mule come right up and go. And you're just like, woo they tell me they've never had one mule walk off of there with a guest. But they tell me that all they want. <laughs> Nehemiah's donkey couldn't even get through the mess. His sure-footed, whatever mess you're in right now that you need to be lifted out of. Whatever rubble you're trying to navigate. I'll say it this way. Whatever you're trying to get through with your donkey, you're going to get through it. Whatever you're going through, God will get you through it. We see the walls were rebuilt. The city was rebuilt. God was glorified. But I end with this. The words of Nehemiah. All these things, all these requests, because the gracious, good hand of God was upon me. Would you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I pray right now for your people. These are your people. Lord, you have redeemed them. Lord, I agree and pray Isaiah 50, 54. No weapon formed against your people shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against them in judgment will be condemned, for they are your people. Lord, I thank you right now. I pray that even as I'm wrapping this up, Lord, that your Spirit is speaking to our hearts, that the Holy Spirit even right now is, is bringing to remembrance a word for them. Lord, that when they leave this place, they'll be reminded that they will not allow the things that were said about them in the past, the mocking. They'll not allow the discouragement to build up from within. Lord, that they will not find themselves fearful to step out and be obedient to what you're telling them. Lord, that they will not allow division and divisiveness and, and controversy to dominate. And Lord, lastly, they will not be distracted from serving you for all of their days. But they'll have clarity and focus to serve you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, I thank you this morning. Prepare our hearts right now. If there's anyone in this room that has never said, Jesus, I place myself in your good hand. Jesus, wash me, cleanse me, make me your child. If you're sitting here this morning and never made that your prayer, God knows your heart, but as a, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, just as a step of faith, just raise your hand and say, I want to be God's child. I want to be his son, his daughter. Thank you, brother. You can put your hand down. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Thank you, brother. Thank you. You're raising your hand and say, whatever mess I'm in, I'm giving it to God. Thank you, brother. I'm putting my hand up and saying, whatever mess I'm in, God's going to get me out of Whatever rubble I have to navigate in my life in the next few days, months, God's going to give me. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Bless you. Thank you. 
God's going to get you through. It starts by giving your life to Him and allowing Him to cleanse the rubble and push it away. You can't build on rubble. You can't build on a mess. You've got to build on a firm foundation, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray this prayer with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus. Wash me. Cleanse me. Prepare me for that foundation. Lord, I thank you that I am your child. I belong to you. Deliver me from the mess and the rubble of the past. My future, my life is in your good hands. From this day forward, amen.